there is this mother and her son, and I had gone into this public restroom, used the little like soap dispenser to wash my hair in the sink, um, and I like came out and I was ah like I'm a fresh, I basically showered, and I'm like one foot away from these people, and this mom talks to her son, he's like that's one of those Appalachian Trail through hikers, honey, like that's one of them, and I'm like, you can talk to me, and she's talking about me like right in front of me. So it's like very funny because you start to feel like a zoo animal. You're listening to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced through hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a through hike. Today's guest is Eleven, known off-trail as Meredith Johnson. She spent 10 years dreaming about through-hiking the Appalachian Trail. Embracing her inner badass, she stepped on the trail in 2018. One trail stumble, one surgery for a broken elbow, six weeks of rehab, and a burning desire to complete her through-hike, she successfully summited Katahdin after 118 days. If you happen to see her on the Pacific Crest Trail this year, be sure to say hi. You can find us at hiking-through.com, through spelled T-H-R-U, of course, where you can find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Eleven. I uh, was doing a little reading of your blog and so forth. You had quite the adventure. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, it was awesome. It was the best experience of my entire life. And I'm like already looking to play in the next one. What do you think the next one will be? Um, I definitely, so I actually am planning on doing the PCT next year, um, but I haven't really told anyone at work yet. (laughs) um, I was on a a leave of absence, so I'm still with the same company, but I'm over here in DC and just really want to move and change jobs. So it's like, oh, well, if I'm changing jobs anyways, may as well hike the Pacific Crest Trail. <laughs> yes, I can see how those two things would go together. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, whenever I have a job change now, um, I'll probably do some type of exploring or adventuring. Yeah. And a lot of my friends that, like, that I met on the trail are actually like doing the same thing. So feeling a little less crazy. <laughs> In terms of when they have a job transition, using that as a, a- a time out to kind of do the hike and then come back to the next job. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I actually have um, a couple of friends who have passive income coming in, random like Etsy stores. I have friends with like a, a couple of like just random jobs where they have like passive income coming in. So they're trying to do all three trails within three years. Cause I think only about 30 people have ever done that. I'm sure. Cause it takes a lot of effort planning. Yeah. Money. Yeah, exactly. So I think after the Pacific Crest Trail, I'll be taking a pause for a little bit, but it'll be nice to move out west to kind of be able to incorporate that sort of type of stuff on the weekend. Right. Now, is that the plan to to move out west? And then? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I think I want to move. I have a couple of friends who also are in the same situation because a lot of people who like the Appalachian Trail are like from the East Coast. Um, and that's kind of what brings them to the Appalachian Trail is mm-hmm. the one that they grew up hiking on. It's the one that they're used to. So usually it's most people's first trail. 
but then you're just so enticed with the beauty of out west and um, I've done lots of hiking in like the Washington area. My sister mm-hmm. was used to live in Seattle. So I think it just like makes sense culturally to move out there, finding people with the same types of interests and stuff like that. Yeah. It, it's interesting. I've spoken to a number of triple crowners at this point and oh, awesome. pretty much to a person, they say that the Pacific Crest Trail is the most beautiful and the Washington mm-hmm. portion is the most, most beautiful. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I bet. I bet. I've just gotten a taste of it and I love it so much out there. Mm -hmm. It's completely different. But like with the Appalachian Trail, I know it's definitely not as beautiful, but I feel like when you have those moments where there's a lookout, really savor it more because I feel like you're just like trying to work harder and harder for it or you're having like terrible rainy days and then a week later you finally have a nice day. And so it makes you like really appreciate those moments more. Yeah. How much planning did you do for the trail so i've wanted to i'd wanted to do it for 10 years but it had always been something like on the back of my mind because i never thought that i would it would be feasible to do while i was working i thought it would be something that i would leave for retirement so mm-hmm. it always been in like the back of my mind of just i wanted to plan for it but i didn't actually make the decision to, to go on the trail until november of 2017 so I started planning like November, December, January, February, March, like five months beforehand. Mm-hmm. And I had all a lot of gear already. So I went with a lot of the gear that I already owned. Which honestly, knowing now what I what I know, I probably would have switched a lot of things. Right. Just because once you are on the trail, you become way more weight conscious. So I started planning just more so gear wise and then going on shakedown hikes with friends, just trying to mentally prepare for it. Read a lot of books. I read AWOL's book um, and then also Appalachian Trials by the Trek blog, founder, creator. I don't really know what he goes by. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but just reading books just to mentally prepare for it, I think really helps because there's so many times where you're just, why am I out here? Like, what am I doing this for? And just remembering, okay, like level setting, right. like I'd be so upset if I ever stop. So I think the biggest thing is just mentally preparing for it because Physically, you can get in shape once you're out there for like the first two weeks. Mm-hmm. Is that what you found kind of as well? You got your hiker legs, so to speak? Yeah, exactly. It was crazy because my friends and I were always joking because we were like, how can anyone ever hike 20 miles? Like, that's insane. Yeah. And then we're all like being like mid-30s and we're like, whoa, how did this happen? So you really get in shape once you're out there. And then just mentally taking off the barrier of, oh, I can only do so much. You kind of just find your limit you're constantly pushing yourself mm-hmm. so you get your hiker legs yeah within like the first two weeks and then once you get to virginia is when you can start doing 30 miles and such what was your longest day do you think i was actually just talking to someone about this because we're planning to do the four state challenge this weekend which is 48 miles something around there mm-hmm. so um the, the longest time i've ever done is 40 miles wow and that was actually like right before my birthday i was just i'm gonna see how far i can go I was like, this would be like my birthday present, which makes no sense. It wasn't fun, um, but I just wanted to <laughs> see how far I could hike. So I never did. I think there's something called the 24-hour challenge mm-hmm. where you see like how many miles you can hike in 24 hours. I never tried that because I feel like it was never like good planning when I decided I wanted to do 40 miles. It was, oh, like I've already done 30, like may as well try it's my birthday tomorrow. So I kept going. So it became an extension. Yes, Exactly. So I think on the Pacific Crest Trail, I'll try the 24-hour challenge. That's the plan. 
There you go. Something new to try. Yes, exactly. A new challenge. There's always going to be like a new challenge now, which is kind of a a good thing from the trail, but also a bad thing. Because people say like the trail kind of ruins your life because now I'm like, what's going to be the new challenge? How far can I push myself? So I like ask myself that every day. Yeah. And and I also have found it again in talking with with these other individuals that once you've spent that time on the trail, you're always looking for the next time to get back on the trail, the next excuse to get back out there. And that changes how you live your life. Mm -hmm. No, exactly. And like right now, I'm just trying to make sure that I'm not wishing my life away to like because I know I'm, I already know that I'm doing the Pacific Crest Trail next year, but I'm trying to like make sure that I'm still living in the moment and like being present. Mm-hmm. So on the weekends and such, I'll go on backpacking trips or trail runs with friends, stuff like that, just to make sure that I'm still making the most of my weekends or my time right. after work. But it's, it is really hard and really challenging because when you're on the trail, like you just have so many endorphins all the time because you're exercising 24 seven. And this lifestyle is just so much more fun without being on someone's schedule and having like rules. So it's definitely a change. And like, I've, de- I've seen some of my friends adjust to it better than others because mm-hmm. there is that post trail depression. But I think just staying in contact with friends on the trail and like continuing with trail running has definitely helped with that. Yeah. How, how was the post trail depression for you? So I actually went back to work after a week after I got off the AT. So it was going from living this life where I was just on my own and on my own schedule to then re-entering corporate America. Mm-hmm. So I was walking to work on my first day and I saw one of my friends and she was like, oh my gosh, congrats. So great to see you. Like, welcome back to work. And I like started to tear up a little bit, <laughs> which is very overwhelmed. I was like, oh my gosh, this is happening. But then my first day back at work was just getting my laptop. And like, mm-hmm. I, for some reason, you just work it up in your head. I'm going to be assigned a million tasks day one of work. But people really understand. And like, with my boss and stuff, I was, yeah, like, this is my first project back from being on the Appalachian Trail for like six months. So I feel like people, just telling people about my experience helps them kind of work with me on adjusting back to the life cycle or the lifestyle. Right. So with with work, it's been fine just easing into it, but it's definitely been sad not being on the trail as often, but just exercising all the time has helped a lot. And then just, um, I have some, some of my best friends on the trail live in West Virginia, which is pretty close to Washington, D.C. So I've been mm-hmm. hanging out with them every weekend. And so just hanging out with them and like reliving some of our experiences really helps with that. Did you have any, uh, like physical issues of going from walking, you know, 20 whatever miles a day to walking to the car? Oh, yes. Yes. So it was crazy because, um, whenever you're in town, people call it the hiker wobble where you're just wobbling around town because your hips hurt, your knees hurt, everything hurts. And so when I got off the trail, that was just heightened. So my knees hurt a lot and I was wobbling a lot. But I think, honestly, like getting into exercise as soon as possible helps. Mm-hmm. So I have lots of friends who are like, oh, I like wanted to give my body a break. And so they didn't do any physical activity for two weeks and then try to get back into it. And they were having a lot of joint problems. But I gave myself, the day after I finished, I still walked seven miles. Mm-hmm. And then oh, wow. I just okay. kept walking a little bit. And then I started running again like a week after I got off trail. And it honestly wasn't that bad. 
It was sort of like doing that kind of processed everything through. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And I take um, like cosamine pills, which I think supposedly yeah. helps with cartilage. The the things that they tell you to do when you have bad knees mm-hmm. and joints and stuff like that. Exactly, exactly. So I feel like I'm like an 80 year old man, but if it helps me stay on trail, then I will continue taking them. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, exactly. And and that's saying something when I'm talking to you. I mean, I've read your blogs and you had quite the adventure this year. <laughs> yes, I definitely did. And actually talking back to um, what we were talking about with just like adapting your knees and such. So mm-hmm. as you probably are aware, um, I had an accident where I fell yeah. in Virginia and I broke my elbow. And honestly, that was the hardest time ever because I thought maybe I wouldn't be able to keep going. Mm-hmm. But once I ended up having surgery and stuff, I wasn't allowed to move. So I was completely immobile for a week. And so then once I got back up and moving again, the pain in my knees was way worse than it was finishing the trail. And I think that had to do with Mm. completely stopping exercising instead of gradually easing back into it after the trail. So I feel like with anyone who's finishing a through hike, just stopping physical activity altogether is going to cause more problems. Right. You got to test that. Yes, I definitely tested that. And and speaking of your elbow, I mean, so many things could be asked of this, but you were on the hike, you walked with a kind of a trail family, you mm-hmm. had a group, you broke your elbow, you left for six weeks, I believe, mm-hmm. and then what basically said, I need to get back on the trail, I need to finish this. So you get back on the trail, and now you're essentially a solo hiker, to mm-hmm. all extents. Talk yeah. to me about that. Like that is that's yeah. crazy <laughs> roller coaster. It definitely added to the experience a ton. And I was not expecting it at all. I am super accident prone. So saying that I didn't expect that honestly doesn't make sense. But you never <laughs> think that there's going to be something like so extreme that takes you off trail. Like I wanted this so badly. And I was now like chasing my dream that I had set for myself for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So the day it happened was actually at 8.30 a.m. in the morning. I just left camp with my trail family. So we all like camp together, but we, we all like solo. So it was towards the back of the pack. But thankfully, um, one of my best friends who I met the first day on the trail was behind me. And so I like had fallen and I was just, as soon as it happened, I was, I know I broke my elbow and my Mm -hmm. friend, um, bluegrass ends up catching up to me, like hearing me screaming. And he made me a sling from his jacket, which was amazing. Like he just went into, total paramedic mode and called his, right. his cousin who's a doctor so then we i just tossed an advil and we're walking out but as soon as i like secured it all the pain went away so it's oh, like i was just so everything's fine like let's call our friends so i ended up calling our friends telling them the issue and we're like we're just gonna go to the doctor like we'll see you tonight and like had plans to make meet them at the next shelter mm-hmm. and so bluegrass is well like we have to go to the doctor like we're going to the hospital and it's like fine I guess. (laughs) Force me. Fine. And so we got to a shelter right before the Glasgow like town exit. And thankfully there's a town nearby. So we had already hiked 13 miles. We're now two miles from town. And we ran into some section hikers who heard our story and said that they could drive us an hour to the hospital, which is so nice. Mm -hmm. Um, So they drove us to the hospital. But of course, before even going there, we were hungry. So they went and bought a Dairy Queen. 
because food is more important than fixing yourself. <laughs> uh, it was great. And they were so nice. The people on trail are amazing. So we end up getting to the hospital. They do a couple sets of x-rays and they let me know that my elbow was broken. And so I was okay, like they can do the surgery right now. We can get this done. We'll get my cast on. I'll be back on trail. So I end up calling my mom and dad and they're like, no, no, no. You have no idea what's wrong. Like we need a second opinion. We're coming home. Right. And I was, ugh, I was just so upset. So then I flew home the next day. And the issue with my elbow actually ended up being like way more extreme than um, what the x-ray showed. So I'd mm-hmm. actually completely torn off the ligament in my elbow and had to get wow. it completely reconstructed, which is called the Tommy John surgery. So hmm. like with what happens to pitchers when they throw out their arms. Mm-hmm. Right. So thankfully, I have a great surgeon. But then that meant that additional physical therapy was required. So at yeah. first, something that was supposed to heal in four weeks is now going to heal in 10. And when talking to my doctor, he thought I was totally crazy saying, I just want to do whatever I can to get back on trail as soon as possible. Did that ever waver? Oh my gosh. My doctor was like so mad at me. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> but he was just so happy that I ended up going back because I, I saw him at one, I had a checkup with him after I finished the trail. And he was, did you finish that trail thing that you were like so passionate about? I, was, I did. He was super helpful and being my physical therapy each week. So I think usually you do like two sessions a week. I was doing three. Um, and mm-hmm. then on top of that, I was exercising my arm six times a day. It's my full-time job. Wow. Um, and it was just, that was the only thing. I was just, I'm going to get back on the trail. Like it was kind of obsessive, honestly, because it was just, I had this thing that was just incomplete and I've never done anything like so goal oriented. And all I wanted to do was finish this trail. And so, honestly, that was the hardest part of it all. The hardest part of this whole trail was not being on the trail and not knowing if I was going to be able to go back out there. Um, so it's definitely super emotional, like watching on Instagram and on Snapchat and social media, all of my friends getting farther and farther. And then I was just stagnant and knowing mm-hmm. that when I, I was going back on in Virginia. Right. But then... I ended up getting sort of cleared to go back on trail, but I had to go on with um, this like race that made me kind of look like a robot. Um, yeah. It's kind of, it pretty cool, honestly. I got a pseudo extra trail name. People started calling me RoboCop when I had that thing on. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty great. But then I got to ditch that when I got to, I think it was New Jersey. Yeah. And then had no issues with it and actually just finished up now I think it's been like four months since my injury I finally finished up my last session of physical therapy last week so nice road to recovery is basically complete nice congratulations thank you did you I guess when you were off trail since you you know because you were saying that that was kind of the hardest thing about the trail was there ever a time when you when you're dedication to getting back on the trail or whatever wavered and and if so like what kept pushing you forward mm-hmm. so I de- so uh, I had definitely the whole time I was off trail like wanted to go back but it did cross my mind multiple times is this even feasible and something that was actually really frustrating is I kind of like my family's friends and such were coming over saying like trying to be supportive being like oh like 800 miles is still such an accomplishment. Great mm-hmm. job. And it was just 
so painful to hear that because I'm like, no, like it's not over. It's not done. And I mean, to any normal person, hiking 800 miles through is very impressive. So yeah, they were just trying to be supportive, but it was carrying me and carrying me up inside, just knowing that this could be the end. And when I found out that my elbow was like bigger issue than it was, was supposed to be, and my, my, my physical therapy was going to be extended, I was thinking, um, like, am I going to have to go Sobo? Or like, right. am I going to flip flop? Am I going to have to wait till next year? So logistically, I almost was thinking that I was going to flip flop. Because I thought okay. that I wasn't going to have time to like get the Katahdin on time. That ended up not being an issue at all. But I think if I would have gone back on trail, say like mid July, I probably would have gone done the, the second half south. Well, and and you say like it getting to the end wasn't a problem, but you also I mean you took six weeks off. So mm-hmm. was it that you then were doing some pretty high mileage to try to make up some time or? Just you had started early enough that you could give six weeks and not have a problem. Um, so I think going into it, I thought it was going to take a lot longer than it did. So since this was my first long distance backpacking trip, um, the longest I'd ever done besides this had been two weeks. I thought mm-hmm. it was going to take me about like six months to hike. But then when right. I got on trail, so I started in March. So the plan was to hike from March, mid-March to mid-September. Um, but once I got on trail, I realized that I was probably going to finish in July. So then when this happened, it ended up being okay. Six it just, weeks and yeah. it all ended up still working out with the timeline. Yeah. So thankfully I started in March. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. It gave you an opportunity there. Mm-hmm. And like looking back on it, I was really happy that I got to continue going north because the Katahdin finish was just so epic. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. How was it going from having a a trail family to going or hiking solo? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was really nice starting out with the support system and the group because going into this, this was just all so new. So it was great, like making friends who are going through the same thing as you and then eventually finding people like my piece who I also got along with. Mm-hmm. So it was really fun to always have someone to lean on. And like at the end of the day, if something ever happens, you know that they would be looking out for you or they'd call you or like someone would come back and hike to try to find you. Right. So it always gave you peace of mind. And then in general, it's just way more fun when you're going into town, you're going to bars and stuff like that. Um, but when I got back, I feel like the experience that I had solo was the experience that I thought I was going to have before I even went into this. Okay. Like going into this, my expectations were all around self-discovery and growth and just pushing myself. Um, but when I was with mm-hmm. a trail family, I feel like I was more about fun and less right. about pushing myself. Mm-hmm. But then when I got back on, there were some days that were just really hard and really lonely. But I felt in those moments was when I really like grew and when I really pushed myself. So I got right. yeah. really uncomfortable when honestly, like, that's the experience I needed. Right. You got comfortable with the uncomfortable. Exactly. Exactly. And a lot of times you just be hiking along and, like, being so bored and, like, wanting company. And so whenever that happens, you could hike with someone for, like, a day. And, like, Mm -hmm. a lot of times once I ended up catching – so I ended up catching up to people once I hit Pennsylvania. So I was seeing people way more often. But it would be, like, a one – one like a one or two day type of thing 
where I would hike with them for like a day or two and then we'd say our goodbyes. But then once I even started getting north, I started meeting people who were also my pace. Um, but since I had already hiked alone, I kind of just like really appreciated the experience. And I was just, I started this alone, like I want to finish it alone. So I kept mm-hmm. going. And what's great is that you can meet people on trail and hang out with them for an hour or two and then be best friends. So like there's so many people right. who I still talk to on Instagram, stuff like that. And we'll meet for the weekend who I might have met for two hours. Um, mm-hmm. But the trail just makes your friendship so much stronger, even if the time was short. It's a shared experience that not many people appreciate or understand. Exactly, exactly. Um, And like being back in what they call the real world, it's really (laughs) great to like have that support system of the friends that I met. Now, your your original trail name was Eleven? Yes, and it's still Eleven. The RoboCop thing only only was there for those six weeks. For the elbow? Yes, for the elbow. But my trail name was actually sort of given to me by someone before I started the trail. So I went on some like practice, like shakedown hikes with friends and my Mm -hmm. one friend who's been, who uh, kind of helped push me to take on this adventure this year instead of waiting until retirement. um, Like most people would do. He was kind of like talking through like, what do you think your trail name's going to be? Who do you think it's going to be like falls or stumbles and was throwing out all these things because I'm super clumsy. And then he threw out 11 because I was actually born with 11 toes. Um, it's not gone, but it makes <laughs> me, yeah, very, very fun fact. Um, but it was like an extra big toe. So once it was taken off, I'm now like slightly pigeon toed, which makes me okay. even more clumsy. So it kind of right. goes together. So since I had that, it makes me fall a lot, which is very unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But then have you ever seen the show Stranger Things? Yes. yes. So are you familiar with the main character, 11? Yep. Yeah. So, um, when I was on trail, like I told, so um, I didn't have a trail name for like the first two weeks I was out there, but my friend who, um, had been on like those shakedown hikes was also friends with the person who sent me off for the first hundred miles. So he was telling her to like plant the name and start using <laughs> that because he wanted that to be my trail name. He was, I want to give her her trail name. So we're like all around campfires talking about trail names and like, People had already gotten them on the first or second day. And like at the beginning of the trail, people like really want to name you. Mm-hmm. So my friend, how about 11? One of your fun facts, she was born with an extra toe. It doesn't just come up. So it came up like super unorganically. But once, mm-hmm. it, once it came out, it, it really stuck. And people liked the story along with it. And then Absolutely. people started applying 11 from Stranger Things to me because I was hiking with um, three guys and one of them actually looked like one of the characters from the TV show. Perfect. And then they would say like, oh, like Meredith or 11's going like super far today. She's leaving us behind and like just would make references to 11 from Stranger Things throughout it all. Mm-hmm. And I think it worked out really well for the second part of my through hike too when I was alone and like would channel my inner 11 whenever times got tough. Mm. That's nice. It it it, it could be worse. Yeah. and organic, but yes, yeah, I know. Planted. I was just like, it was planted by a friend, but at least it was yeah. given to me by someone else. Exactly, exactly, and that's the spirit of it all. Mm-hmm. Exactly. How did the like the shakedowns, the the pre hike shakedowns work for you? Like, what were some of the things that you took out of your pack based on those things or replaced? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. um 
I actually used to hike with like so many different things. Like I would always bring like cars to play with um, or like a crazy creek. I always have so much extra random shit in my backpack that I really didn't need. So uh, I got rid of on the, those shakedown hikes. I got rid of anything that I wasn't using on a day to day basis. A chair. No one needs a chair. And then my friend who hiked the Pacific Crush Trail went on those hikes with me and she didn't bring a stove. So I I was testing out being stoveless on those shakedown hikes. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up doing the whole AT stoveless, which was the best decision ever. It was just so low maintenance Hmm. and then also helped a lot with weight. Right. Okay. Well, we're going to circle back to the stoveless thing in just a second because that's a big (laughs) thing in my in my head in terms of which side of the fence do I fall on but but like anything else that you kind of swapped out gear wise or oh yeah so once I so I really wish I would have been better at shakedown hikes before I left because once I was actually on the trail I ended up getting rid of I think it was seven pounds worth of gear which is ridiculous wow what was your base weight to start with I think it was 22 pounds oh wow um so I got it down to like um I think 12 pounds. So actually it might've been 20 pounds and then I got it down to 12 pounds. Okay. And I still already want to buy new gear for my next through hike, which is <laughs> a very bad obsession and it brings you down very, very quickly with money. <laughs> yes. So I kind of wish I would have started with the right gear to begin with. So those seven pounds, like what, what mm-hmm. was it that you swapped out or changed structure with? I switched um I had I switched sleeping bags in the middle of it so I had a what was it called it's called the REI magma or magna something like that and it was I think three pounds so it was just like this mummy sleeping bag but it was really made for someone like seven feet tall I switched that out for a quilt that was a little under two pounds and then I got rid of my entire first aid kit I brought so many things that I didn't need I had a brace for my ankle and I had a brace for my knee and I had every ointment that you would ever need, but I never use on a daily basis. So I got rid of a lot of that stuff, which is probably honestly like two pounds of stuff. I got rid of a lot of extra clothes. So once winter stopped, I really only had like an extra shirt and that was it. We don't really need any extra clothes, to be honest. Did you do camp clothes or town clothes versus hiking clothes? So I did have um, like some super lightweight, like merino wool camp clothes, which it was just a thin shirt and a very thin like pants from REI. Mm -hmm. It ended up really working out really well. Because like even when you're hot, it's nice to have something as a barrier between you and your sleeping bag. So you're not sleeping to your sleeping bag. And it's also really bad for your sleeping bag to have that oil and grease added to it. So it's mm-hmm. more so for like gear maintenance. Nice. What what kind of pack and, and how many liters? Mm-hmm. So I have the um, Osprey Exos and it was 48 liters, but I got rid of the brain part of it. So it ended up being around 38. I really mm-hmm. like the amount of liters I have, but I already want to switch packs. So I really want to switch a frameless pack for the Pacific Crush Drill. So something okay. like the Polante V2. It's probably at the top of my list. I know other ones that are super popular were like the Hyperlite or the ULA Circuit. But I think Polante mm-hmm. is definitely on the top of my list. One is of that my because friends, of the weight? I think it's because of the weight. And then also one of the good things about like being on the AC through hiking is that 
so many people have different gear. So this year was more of trying out everyone else's stuff. Right. Some days my friend, I had a friend who like would switch packs with me and he had a Polante D2. And so I like fell in love with that pack. And so like my mind's kind of just like set on that one. And it looks pretty. Not that that matters, <laughs> but great for pictures. <laughs> Well, you know, if you're going to have the choice between a couple of different things. Yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? You said that you switched down to a quilt. Uh, what mm-hmm. kind of quilt? So I ended up purchasing the Sierra Design Backcountry Quilt. Um, it's so comfy and I love it so much. But honestly, I would recommend it for couples. So I've like tried it with a friend before. It works really well for two people, but it's a little mm-hmm. too big for one person. It's like I can't justify carrying around all this extra material if I'm not using it so it's it's still under two pounds but I think I want something a pound so this this quilt also has the footbox and the hood which are super awesome features honestly I was like I don't need this and then as soon as I got it I was like wow this is amazing because they're just so cozy keep you warm but Mm -hmm. I think for something like the Pacific Crush Trail I'll probably get another one which is kind of bad since I just bought this one but I will still use this one but honestly right. would recommend for couples since it's a little bit bigger and wide enough. Right. But you would still go with a quilt, just a smaller oh, yeah. version mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, quilt all the way. It was so nice switching from my my mummy bag to the quilt. Just because it's easier to move around and I never miss having my sleeping bag. Like you're still just as warm because you have the ground pad under you. And you just aren't carrying that extra weight anymore. What was the, how many degrees was the, was the quilt? It was 20 degrees, just the same as my sleeping bag. And I get cold really easily at night. So I'll still probably try to stick with a 20 degree one for Mm -hmm. my next one. And I saw through your pictures and and stuff that you did a lot of cowboy camping. Oh, yes. I love cowboy camping. Um, (laughs) Actually, actually, I probably shouldn't say that. So my last time I cowboy camped was in the 100 mile wilderness. And it was mm-hmm. near this lake where there was randomly like these picnic benches. And I was like, this sounds like a great place to camp. So I ended up cowboy camping that night. But as soon as I turned off my headlamp, a mouse came and started climbing up on me. And I like flung it off of my quilt. But then as soon as I did that, I was feeling remorse. So I was like, oh my God, what if I killed this mouse? <laughs> but I ended up being like awake the entire night just because I was like, is it going to come back? Am I going to be mm-hmm. able to go to sleep? Is it going to crawl on my face? But cowboy camping was really great, but a little unpredictable on the AT because a lot of times if you check the weather, if you have service and check the weather, it'll say like no rain forecasted. And then on the AT, it's so unpredictable where it ends up raining anyways, or it's super humid and your sleeping bag ends yeah. up getting wet. So I loved it because yeah, I was lot lazy, but it's, it was way wetter. <laughs> yeah. Now, you did have a tent with you though, correct? Yes, I did. And what was that? I had, so that's also something that I switched out. So when I first started, I had the Nemo Hornet two-person tent, which is this green tent that a lot of people have on the trail. But it honestly wasn't very good when it rained because the head, like uh, the head area, whenever it got wet, would all, would touch your head in the tent. So then your head's Mm -hmm. getting wet. Yeah. And then the foot box wasn't as great. So when I was off trail with my elbow, I was like, okay, like I'm going to use this time to get better gear. 
So I ended up getting um, the Big Agnes Ultralight Fly Creek two person, which is a absolutely amazing tent, and I love it. But once again, I think I want to get lighter gear <laughs> for <laughs> my next ride. So this is a great tent. Would highly recommend the Big Agnes Ultralight Fly Creek, but I think uh-huh. I want something where I don't have to carry the stake to something like okay. the Z Pack Flexamid or the Z Pack um, Duplex. Okay, something that's uh, less weight, more compact. Yeah, it's one of the ones oh. where you use your hiking pole as right. the the pole for the tent, yeah. and so that gets rid of half a pound right there. How much did you actually use your tent on the AT? So when I first started out, I was all about shelter life. It might have been because I hated my tent, <laughs> the Nemo mm-hmm. one, when I had that. Um, so I stayed in shelters for the majority of the first 800 miles. But when I got back on trail, it was in the time of all of the mosquitoes being out. So, Oof. yeah, so a tent was a must. So once I got back on trail, I always used my tent. And once I started using my tent more, just the the new one that I had, the big Agnes, mm-hmm. I honestly just slept better because you have your little home and you can spread out and you don't have to worry about other hikers like making noises around you. Right. There, there's a sense of security. Yes, definitely. And like, I always feel bad because I had um, as my ground pad, the Thermarest Neo Air. And if you know anything about the Neo Air, it's honestly like the loudest thing ever. It sounds like a potato chip bag whenever you're moving. <laughs> And so whenever I was in a shelter, I would be super conscious of me whenever I would have to like roll or readjust myself. Mm-hmm. So then when I was in those shelters, I was trying like so hard not to wake up any other person around me. So sleep wasn't very good. It was a very comfortable ground pad. <laughs> right. But you can't have been the only person on the Neo Air because that's oh a fairly gosh. popular. <laughs> yeah. There's so many people on it. And it honestly, like some people, if they saw your yellow neo air they like wouldn't sleep in the shelter that night oh wow because they, they just knew they knew uh-huh. um but yeah it's a super popular pad because it's pretty light and really comfortable but what's a little bit annoying about it is just leaks with it so a, a lot of my friends had leaks in their neo air and mm-hmm. mine it wasn't a leak it was the the nozzle right. kept leaking out air and I never got it fixed I would just wake up every night at 3 a.m and we blow it up but I heard Thermarest was really good with customer service so like my other friends remember they had issues just got a new one I was just too lazy and said I started with this one I'm gonna finish with this one right it became a source of pride yeah I don't care if I'm waking up at 3 a.m that's my routine now (laughs) that's the way I roll yes exactly what did you do for for your feet like shoes socks mm-hmm. gaiters Ooh, all of the above so like i said earlier i have very weird feet my feet mm-hmm. are a little bit wider because of that extra toe <laughs> so i started out with the brooks caldera shoe which they're super comfortable but a little bit clunky and they don't have a big enough toe box so once i got off trail for my elbow i started trying out i started testing out a couple of different shoes um, like the Brooks Cascadia, which I honestly thought was too tight. And then mm-hmm. um, the Ultra Lone Peaks, which were just right. So I ended up switching to the Ultra Lone Peak, which funny enough, I tried those out before I started the AT. But I was, this is so awkward. There's too much space. But then gradually as you're going, your feet are getting larger. So my feet mm-hmm. were now like these like gross, like balloon looking things. 
So at that time, they loved the ultra long peaks. So I'm sure they loved all the space. Yes, they loved the space. And they have some funky colors. So you never get bored when you're switching when you wear them out. So I got the ultra long peaks and then I added arch, like arch support to them just because mm-hmm. I have like some foot issues. And then I also wore like darn tough socks or the Ingenji toe socks and then also the dirty girl gaiters. How, how many miles do you think you were getting off of your shoes? I would say 650 seems to be the average. <laughs> okay. And were you like, once you changed out your shoes, did you pre-buy them or did you buy them as you went along the trail? Um, I bought them as I went along the trail. It was really nice okay. to just Amazon Prime them to a different location. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times I would try to like push my shoes to as far as I could take them. And then it would be like an, oh no, I need new shoes ASAP. So it was really right. nice to Amazon Prime them to myself. Interesting. Did you do a lot of resupplying through the mail and or switching out gear through the mail? Or did you end up buying stuff like Amazon Prime or in towns or stuff like that? So I think when it came to shoes or like broken gear, I would always use Amazon Prime. But more so for food, I would just go in town. I had a couple packages sent to me, but it ended up being more work than it was worth because it ended up meaning that I would have because I was really bad at timing when I would be at certain locations. So then I'd be like, oh, yeah, like I'll be there in five days. And then I would be there in three. And I'd have to wait around for the package. Right. I ended up not sending packages to myself. Um, and on the AP, you have that luxury of being in town so often. So every like 75 miles or so, I would resupply um, and just like go to a grocery store. And then occasionally, sometimes, which wasn't ideal, I'd have to resupply at like a gas station. So what was your... In your resupply frenzy and in town, like what was your typical meal plan for a day? Like what were you eating? Yeah, um, it's honestly pretty gross, but (laughs) I ate, so on it, I really loved snacking. So I wasn't one of those hikers who did your three meals a day type deal. So I would start with a normal breakfast, such as bagels and cream cheese or oatmeal and like a normal dinner, which is cold soaking something like ramen or mashed potatoes or rice. But mm-hmm. from the time that I like started hiking to the time that I was ending hiking, I really just loved snacking because every hour I was starving. So I would eat lots of protein bars, gummy snacks, pop-tarts, stuff like that. But originally when I started out hiking, I was doing a lot of wraps, um, which were so good, but just ended up being like a lot of work. So I did wraps with avocado, cucumber, cream cheese, sriracha. Sriracha was really great. Mm-hmm. But it just seems easier to snack throughout the day. Um, because I was just like always starving. And like, if I waited for lunch, it was just like, ah, oh, like, oh my gosh, am I going to make it to my lunch spot for the day? So I just like let myself eat all day long. Right. You were kind of grazing. Yeah, exactly. And I was also doing that too, because there were lots of berries on the trail, which was very nice. Oh, nice. The The trail provides. Yes, exactly. The trail provides. As soon as I got back on trail was when it was blueberry season. Um, so that was a oh, nice, nice little surprise. Yeah. How was, like, I guess this is the thing that I'm trying to get my mind wrapped around is like cold soaking, like ramen noodles or cold soaking oatmeal, or it just doesn't sound appealing. I know. I know it doesn't, but it's just so good. So honestly, 
now that I got used to it, I prefer cold soaked oatmeal. I definitely prefer cold soaked oatmeal. And then at the end of the hot day, eating a, a meal from a stove just sounded terrible. So like for cold soaking ramen, say it was like an hour before I was going to camp, I would set up my meal. And then by the time that I like got there and got my tent set up, my dinner was ready. So it, it was really nice when it came to the camp chores because mm-hmm. I didn't really have any when it came to food. And then it also helped a lot with weight. So I think that honestly, like stoves these days aren't that heavy, but just the convenience of having less chores, having my meal ready for me right when I got to camp was super nice. Right. What were you cold soaking in? So I think the go-to for everyone um, was the Talante gelato containers, which was super nice because you had to eat the gelato that was in there before you could use your little container. Oh, twist your arm. Yeah, I know. But it ended up working out really well. I know some other people who used juicy peanut butter containers, but I think the go-to was the Talante gelato container. Now, if you're having to cold soak your oatmeal in the morning, did you get up, pack up, start hiking, and then eat breakfast? Or were you pre-soaking from the night before? I would just do it right there in, in the morning. So I would wake up and even for oatmeal, I would just, I would, for oatmeal, I would just make it straight out of the packet, which was even easier. Mm-hmm. And then I was honestly bad because a lot of times I would just eat right there in my tent just because it was easier or I was cold. And then I would get on my way and pack everything up for the day. Okay. So how long did it take to cold soak or how long does it take to cold soak oatmeal? Oh, oatmeal's ready right away, which is nice. So like with the others, such as like ramen and rice, that takes 30 minutes to an hour. But oatmeal and mashed potatoes are ready right away. So that helps with the convenience factor. Yeah, definitely. And and I'm assuming like the oatmeal that you were using is, it's not the packets of oatmeal. It's, it's the, uh, they're like in a little styrofoam cup or. No, um, I actually would eat the packets. So you can put water directly into those packets. Oh, I never Learn knew something that. new. Yeah. Learn something new every day. <laughs> is there, uh, coming off of the hike, is there anything that you just cannot eat anymore of? You're, you're over it. So if you ask me right when I finish, I would say mashed potatoes. Um, but what's been super funny is I've gone on three backpacking trips since I've been back. And of course, I've had mashed potatoes. Mm-hmm. So I think it was just because it was convenient and like at the grocery store. But I thought I had just way too many of those Idaho mashed potatoes. And then also when I was on trail, I like swore by Quest bars. I was like, these things are great guys. And like whenever I saw like a Sobo, like just starting their hike, I was like, you got to mm-hmm. try out the Quest. <laughs> cookie dough it's so good it tastes just like cookie dough but like now I like will go hiking and I'm like these things suck they're not that good and so I stopped eating them <laughs> even though they were my favorite food when I was on trail do you uh do you see yourself when you go onto the PCD do you PCT do you see yourself cold soaking and and doing mm-hmm. that whole thing again oh yeah definitely I never regretted cold soaking um although it was hard starting off in Georgia in March because it was really cold. So I'd say like the beginning part of the hike was the only time I was sometimes saying like, oh, like I wish I had a stove. But from then on out, I love not having a stove. So it's definitely something that I'm going to continue doing. And even for my weekend hikes now, I don't even bring a stove just because it cuts down on time. Okay. Wow. That's nice. Mm Mm-hmm. So you had had your, your AT shakedown, so to speak. Yes, exactly. With the AT, 
did you did you did you get out of it everything that you wanted to like did, do you feel like you took away from it the things that you needed to in that experience in in that moment yeah so i have had this conversation with a lot of friends from I'm sure. off the trail i think something that i did well to set myself up for this was to not set expectations too high so I feel like a lot of people go into this saying, like, once I hike the AT, then I'll have some clarity on, like, where my life is going. And once I hike mm-hmm. the AT, I can do this. And I feel like if you set those expectations that it's going to, like, solve certain problems for you, then you end up leaving the trail, like, kind of in a, like, more depressed state because you went on this whole journey and you didn't end up, like, getting what you set out to do. So I went into it more so just saying, like, this is the goal that I set for myself and I really want to do. And I think it's going to be really good for like building confidence and self-discovery. So okay. along the way I was able to do that. And I feel like a lot of that helps being alone because being alone, you're just pushing yourself more and like can really think back on those goals you set for yourself and then mm-hmm. say like, how am I going to get there? So I, I would definitely say that I got what I wanted to get out of it, but I didn't set my expectations as, the AT is going to fix something in my life. And right. my friends who kind of had that mindset are a little bit like sadder now that the experience is over. They were hoping that it would fix something as opposed yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I guess, I'm, I guess I'm circling back a little bit to your, to your feet thing. In part of your blogs, you were, you were mentioning about the day that your shoes and clothing and everything froze. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I feel like I like compartmentalized that story and, and like haven't gone back to that memory in forever just because it was a dark time. But like now looking back at it, I'm like, that was type too fun. Um, but <laughs> yes, that actually, so uh, just to give you a quick backstory, the yeah, first please. time I ever set foot on the Appalachian Trail was in the Rhone Highlands in the North Carolina, Tennessee area. And so okay. it was going to be like my first time going back there since I had ever, since I had set foot on that area like 10 years earlier. So I was just typing it up so much in my head and telling my friends, this section is amazing. So the first two days we're out there, um, it's, we started off at Beauty Spot right out, right out of, I think it was like Irwin, Tennessee is when you start out. And so I'm at Beauty Spot. It's amazing, really beautiful. And then it's 75 degrees and sunny. Next day we get good weather again. And then all of a sudden, once we start going into the Rhone Highlands, this massive rainstorm breaks out. We've got like over two inches of rain um, that day and it ended Ugh. up sleeting. So we're going over these mountain balls and there's sleet and 60 mile per hour winds just pelting you. And like I said, like we're, we're all hiking alone. So I'm like hiking alone, mm-hmm. like just like trying to get across the mountain. I'm like, what is going on? Like this is insane. And you're just screaming into the mountains. Being like, woo, like I can do this. It was still towards you're taunting the, the mountain. Exactly. And it was towards the beginning of the hike when you're still in that like honeymoon stage. So it was mm-hmm. one of the, like the first real like challenging moments. So you're like, this is so fun, but also I hate this. So I was just getting right. pelted in the face, trying to cover myself to get across this mountain because I was so exposed. So then we ended up making it to Over Mountain Shelter, which is the biggest shelter on the Appalachian Trail. It's this like big, red, cute barn. It fits about 30 people. And so 
a lot of people had already taken a zero that day because they were like, not going to go out in that weather. It was insane. So we ended up filling up the shelter to like max, max capacity. There were probably like 35 people in there. So it's a super fun party. Like everyone stopped hiking. Who was hiking that day at 2 p.m.? Mm-hmm. And so we're all like bundled up trying to put our tent against the walls just to like prevent the wind from coming in. And so okay. like finally around 5 p.m., everyone goes to sleep because it's been a really long day. And 5 p.m. is basically like 9 p.m. in normal time. <laughs> so then we wake up and like um, since we're on the top of the barn, you can see underneath you. So I look down to see like what's on the first floor and I saw snow and I was like, oh my gosh, Ooh. this is so great. Like snow, it's my, I love snow. But then you're, you're trying to like peel yourself out of your sleeping bag. It's so cold. You're playing chicken with your friends. Who's going to get out first? And so I finally got out and everyone's touching their gear that we had because we had like clotheslines set up to try to dry out our stuff from the day before since we were all just soaking wet. It's like we had jumped in a pool. But then everything that we had hung up was frozen solid. So thankfully, I had my camp clothes. So I ended up staying in my camp clothes that day, put my frozen clothes back in my pack, which ended up being super heavy. And then Mm -hmm. I'm trying to get my shoes on, but I made the mistake of not untying them before going to bed. So they were like completely solid shut. So I'm like throwing it against the wall. People start, (laughs) this is when I wanted to sew. People started bringing up their, their stove to warm up their shoes so they could get their feet in them but Mm -hmm. I just I spent like an hour just trying to like break into them and I was just okay like I give up we're close to town I'm just gonna hike in my crocs this day so I ended up hiking like through so much snow the next day or that day in my crocs and thankfully like I made it to town but like I couldn't feel my feet I was trying to take in like this beautiful winter wonderland but I couldn't help but like hike as fast as possible, just trying to get out of there and into town just because I felt unsafe. Right. But looking back was on there it, a moment? it's great. <laughs> <laughs> looking back on it, it was entertaining and fun and, and all of that. Was there a moment when you're in the middle of it where you're just kind of like, what the hell am I doing? Oh my gosh. Yes. And so I had left by myself again, which is stupid. I shouldn't have done that this day. And you can't mm-hmm. see the trail. So um, it was a mountain bald. So when it's a mountain bald, there's not like white blazes on trees to help lead the way. So all the white blazes are on rocks on the ground, but it snows. So those were covered. Cover. Yeah, exactly. So I'm hiking along, like trying to find footsteps of the person in front of me. And at one point I got lost and I'm just screaming, like trying to find someone who I knew was ahead of me, like yelling his name, trying to find him. Um, and I couldn't, but then fortunately, two people from my trail family were right behind me. But then unfortunately, they were the fastest ones in the group. So I was sprinting down the mountain with them, trying to get into town. But it was really nice because I was like, once I found them, I was like, no, no, like I am not losing them. We're all going into town together. And so right. we covered the last six miles in like an hour and a half, which was crazy. Wow. I could just picture you running in Crocs. Yes. Yes. There was a picture that's what of it. People do. Um, this guy who was, I think he was like 64 and an Iron Man was out there alone and like a total badass. I loved him. And he was just enjoying it so much, taking pictures of everyone. So he took a picture of me like crossing the mountains and I was just Louie, like, I just want to go like no need for pictures. <laughs> <laughs> 
we don't need to remember this day. This yes. was a- but honestly, I, I look back at the photo now and like I'm smiling and I'm like, that was a great day. But in the moment, mm-hmm. I was just thought I was going to die and like called my mom like crying when I got back to town. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And then you try to relate it to her and she's like, what? Yeah. Yeah. She's like, Why are you, what are you doing? Why are you out there? And there were also exactly. some stories that I didn't tell my mom until after I got home. So it's like, I don't want her oh, to sure. know why I'm still out here. I It's probably self-preservation at that point. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Did you ever feel like, I know you said in like this one, in this moment, you know, it probably wasn't the best choice for you to start hiking solo in the snow and your Crocs and so forth. But did you ever feel unsafe? Did you ever feel, you know, either in, in the hiking or in the hitchhiking or in the... So I don't, so people wise, um, I never felt unsafe. So I made this pact before I started the trail that I was never going to hitchhike alone. And like, I kept up with that for the first half when I had my trail family. But once I got back on, like I was way behind everyone. So I found myself alone a lot. So it was either mm-hmm. go into town and resupply and hitchhike in or don't get food. So when I right. got back on trail, I ended up hitchhiking alone all the time. And like, even when I was with people, I would race ahead because it was fast. It was way easier to get a hitchhike when you were alone. So it ended mm-hmm. up being fine. And like, I never felt unsafe and the stories I actually like, so these are a lot of stories that I shared with my mom because it just gave her peace of mind. Because a lot of times people would pick me up and like hear that I was an Appalachian Trail through hiker and insist on buying me dinner or buying my resupply, which is just like amazing because you just meet these like amazing yeah. people out there. So people wise, never felt unsafe, always met like the nicest people ever, really like restored my faith in humanity. But then mm-hmm. nature wise, I'd say, Anytime that I was really scared for like my well-being was when I was both wet and cold. I could deal with being wet, okay. I could deal with, deal with being cold, but when they happened together, I was, I'm seriously pushing my limits here. But thankfully, a lot of times when that happened, I was like going into town. Um, so I was just, I'm getting out of this. And so it mm-hmm. just helped me keep going forward. And then there was one other time, like at the very end when I felt unsafe because I just, once again, kind of made a stupid decision. So. Right when I you cross the border from New Hampshire into Maine, it's like, welcome to Maine. And Maine just hits you with like the hardest 10 miles that you've ever experienced. So like mm-hmm. I had to like throw my backpack down this rock wall and then climb down. And I was thinking like, oh, like the next shelter is only four miles away. Like I can keep going and get there before dark. So I was like, it was 6 p.m. And I thought I could do like four miles before 8 p.m. So... I ended up going along and the fog started coming in and it started getting really cold. And there's like all of these boardwalks because Maine has a ton of bogs everywhere. So I ended Mm -hmm. up falling into a bog and I have like my headlamp on. It's now like 8 p.m. because these miles are like really hard miles. And I was stuck in a bog for about like an hour. And I seriously Mm -hmm. considered just sleeping in it. I was well, like a, a hiker will probably find me by like 9 a.m. if I have to sleep in this. And so that was one of the times where I was just really scared because I'm trapped in a bog. I can't get out. There's no one around. But thankfully, I just kept persevering, kept sticking with it and like finally got out of it after an hour. But that was one of the times where it was just comical. So thinking about all the other people who have already gone along this path, it was the the Crawford family, if you're familiar with them, like a family of eight who brought their kids to 
um, like someone who was five years old was even hiking it. But you're thinking like, mm-hmm. how do these people do it? So I have to keep like getting out of this. So if they, so anytime I like hit something like that, I was like, if they did it, I have to do it. Like I can do this. Right. If a five-year-old can do it. Exactly. Still, I don't understand how, they, how she was able to do that, but definitely kept yeah. helped with pushing myself. Yeah. Now, when you said you were stuck in a bog, like, what does that actually mean? Because I'm sure that the the vision in my head is di- very different from what you were actually doing. Oh, my gosh. I'm kind of <laughs> imagining you stuck in one place, but I have a feeling you were not stuck in one place. Yeah. So uh, there's these, these boards that were going across this big, huge mud pile. And it's like a mystery mm-hmm. for like how deep it is. So I was trying to jump to one of, one of the next boards and I missed it. But I had put like all my energy into it. My momentum was going. So it helped push me deeper into the bog. So I was like in this like mud pit up to my waist. Um, and it was oh, kind of like quicksand because I'm like trying to like pull myself yeah. out. And then you're feeling your, your shoes come off while you're trying to pull out. And I was, well, like I'm in the middle of Maine, which is great wilderness area. But that means that it's going to be so hard to like, get to a town if I end up losing my shoe and I, that means I now have to do the next 20 miles without shoes on so I'm like trying to maneuver right. my way out without losing shoes and then at one point I was like okay like I'll just lose my shoe it's fine and I'm like yanking myself out just like trying to get back onto like these wooden boards and I like finally mm-hmm. got out and I'm like in the dark taking pictures now of my muddy legs and I actually like took my shorts off because I was I'm gonna chief really badly if I keep them on now, if one's around, fine. So I ended up hiking without my shorts on to the next shelter that night. <laughs> so it really was kind of what I was picturing in my head. Yeah. yeah. And at that point, like I was in Maine. So like, you don't really care about what people think about you. And I, so it's like, even if I run into someone, like it's fine. <laughs> now, when you were, when you were hiking solo. Mm-hmm. Like, how solo were you? Were you meeting people, like maybe a person or so during the day? Or could you go days without seeing people? So at the beach, so when I first got back on trail, I was way behind what they call the bubble. So the bubble mm-hmm. is the core group of people who start in the middle of March um, to the middle of April. So I think around like 4,000 people attempted the trail this year. So the bubble wow. was a 1,000 people big. And so mm-hmm. it's a group of a thousand people within like a two week time frame. And so they were way ahead of me. They were in like the New York area when I got back on in the middle of Virginia. So when I first got on, I really didn't see that many people. I like met one, one or two people the first day I started, but mm-hmm. then I went a couple of days without seeing any through hikers, but thankfully it was summertime. So once I hit Shenandoah, I saw like lots of families and stuff. And then when I got to Maine, I would say that's when I would see people less. But there was never really a day when I would go without seeing anyone at all. There'd be lots of days, okay. though, that I would go without seeing another through hiker. Right. But but there were people visiting the trail for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Because the Appalachian Trail is pretty accessible. Yeah, it's very accessible. Yeah. Unlike the Continental Divide and... Mm-hmm. Pacific Crest and some of those other ones. Exactly. When you were, oh, the thousand people in sort of like the bubble kind of area. How did you have issues like finding spaces in some of the shelters or you just end up cowboy camping or, or tenting or? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I started great. I think the the day after I started was the like the day that they had the most registered people. 
to begin their mm-hmm. northbound through hike. So I was right in the bubble. Had tr- I can never really find shelter space when I was in Georgia. And then even there was a spot in Georgia where I wanted to go to the next shelter, but they had already set up a ranger to turn people away and tell them to go to a certain campsite. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So there were times definitely in the beginning where it was like impossible to find a spot, a level ground to put your tent up or a space in the shelter. So with my trail family, we were like so excited because we were going like a little bit faster than everyone else. So we like made our way in front of the bubble. And so we were like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, like we have space now. This is great. But then as soon as we got in front of the bubble was like right when I fell. So then when I got back on okay. trail, I was then behind the bubble. And what was funny is I the whole time I was going north before, I was oh, like, I want to get away from the bubble. I want to get away from the bubble. And then now that I was like back on trail alone, all I wanted was to catch back up to the bubble and like be surrounded <laughs> by like the through hiker community. You know how it is. <laughs> yeah. The grass is always greener. Yes, exactly. <laughs> How was the registering for the permits and stuff like that process? Oh, um, it was actually super easy. So before I started, I was actually like panicking. So I was like, oh no, like I didn't register online. Like, am I going to get in trouble? Like, are they still going to let me start this day? But when you show up to Amicaloa Falls, it's a very seamless process. You sign a book, you get a tag, um, you go through like this little class that they put together. It's really sweet um, where they like show you how to hang bear bags teach you about like leave no trace principles so like anything you might have mm-hmm. thought you forgot about they they remind you so the whole registration process was very easy i do think for the pacific crush trail i think maybe even for the continental divide trail the permit process is a little bit more difficult yeah the the permit process for at least pacific crest trail you know is computer is is online yeah at least if you want to do the whole thing if you want to get the whole permit thing done at at one time through the uh, PCTA. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot less curated, meaning like there's not rangers there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, and it was crazy because I wasn't expecting to see so many rangers, but in Georgia and throughout the Smokies, there there were so many rangers. And it was actually mm-hmm. really nice. because my first night on trail. One of the rangers had through hiked the AP in 2016. So he was there kind of just like supporting you, letting you know what to expect, kind of like easing your nerves and calming you down. Because the first couple of nights you're out there, you're like, oh, my God, what am I getting myself into? (laughs) And just talking to someone who's already done it really helps ease those nerves. Did you have any issues with with animals besides for the mouse that you threw off in the night? Yeah, I had issues. I mean, I think, honestly, mice were the things that bothered me the most. Because even when you're like hanging your bear bag oh, they somehow find their way into it. And all the, mm-hmm. I think every shelter had mice. So whenever I slept in them, I kind of just expected mice to be there. And you kind of just go numb to it all. You're like, oh, like there's mice. I'll face my head out towards the edge so they're not crawling around my head. So that's something you oh, learn. Whenever you can tell section hikers from through hikers because the uh-huh. shelters are like the, they have like those three sides. So if you put your head um, like towards the inside, that's where like all the mice scurry around. So all the through hikers put their heads out facing um, the outside, <laughs> just because we okay. know. So you, you've been around the block before. Yes, exactly, exactly. Or I've had a mice mouse on my head before, stuff like that. <laughs> oh Jesus, it's so gross. But you, honestly, you just are like, oh, that comes with shelters. It's fine. 
right. had problems with bears in the Smokies. There were actually lots of issues with bears. So my my trail family actually was at one of the sites in the Smokies where a bear attacked two tents and was just circling around the whole night long, kind of just like intimidating everyone. And there were actually mm-hmm. some section hikers who had planned on finishing their night, had planned on finishing their section the next day. But then it was like midnight and they decided to hike out because they didn't want to have to deal with the bear. And so then they had told me that story like as soon as I had met them. But I think every shelter in the Smokies during the time that I was there had a bear. So there was one that was just circling around our shelter the whole night. And I was like, oh, it's so cute. It's so cute. And I'm like standing there eating my dinner. And then you see it like get up on its legs and like sniff and stare at me. And like, I'm like, oh, no, it can smell my food. And so we are throwing like rocks near it just because they're just in the Smokies, especially um, they weren't scared of humans. They're just so used to them. So that was kind of sad, but ended up not having any issues with them there. Just lots of encounters. And then for some reason, I'm actually very upset about this. Um, I never saw a rattlesnake. So rattlesnakes are super popular in the Pennsylvania stretch. They even call it Snakesylvania. But I never saw one. And what was funny is I would be at like a shelter that night and be like, oh, like, has anyone seen a rattlesnake? I can't believe I haven't seen one. People are like, you must just be like living in your own little world. I saw five today. (laughs) So I guess ignorance is bliss. Right. So no rattlesnakes, but just like lots of other snakes. But kind of helps with my snake fear because when you're seeing them on a daily basis, you kind of just go numb to it all. Right. It it becomes common. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm sure that the PCT will satisfy your rattlesnake yes, needs. I know, exactly. <laughs> what would you say, like, of your full experience on the AT, what would you consider to be your best day on trail hmm. or best experience on trail? I feel like I had a lot of, re- so I feel like there were lots of days that were just really fun, just like hanging out with my trail family, like, um, the day that we went to the home place in Mac- right near Maxie's Knob in Virginia, that was like a really great day because we got ice cream Sunday trail magic. And then a couple miles mm-hmm. later, we ended up going to the home place, which is like one of the best all you can eat dinner places. And it was during a time when we like decided to slow down. So we hadn't gone too far that day or even like the previous days. And it was right when we had gone into Virginia. So it went from being poop brown forest because of the winter to finally being like green and fresh and pretty again. So I really savor those moments when you're first entering Virginia. It's because it's kind of like the trail is new again and you're going through like a second honeymoon stage. And then honestly, some of my worst days, I now consider some of my best days. So when I was in Vermont, I had, I had been hiking with someone for like a week. And we were just going for this at around the same pace. Um, but he didn't have a cell phone. So we ended up accidentally splitting up and I never saw him again. And he ended up finishing after me. So we've been like in contact via phone and email now. But when I was on the trail, I was kind of upset because I was so oh, no, like I found this person who was my pace and like really cool. But then we had split up. So then I was once again, like on my own again, re-navigating it all feeling super lonely and just seeing all my friends would like finish. Right. But then it was kind of at the same time when I was just looking back on how I had gone back on trail 
and just like how I had overcome a ton of adversities. And so even though I was feeling super lonely and it was a really hard time for me, I feel like in that moment, that's one of the times that I appreciate the most now that I've been off the trail. So it kind of, your best times kind of change once you actually are off the trail and like look back at those days. Yeah, you, you get a little distance from what you thought was the worst day ever. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, wasn't that bad. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, like the Katahdin finish that day was amazing. Once I had entered Maine and had left Anover, which is one of the first big towns, I was just mm-hmm. ri- riding euphoria and had so many endorphins and was in this mode where I was going to like do everything. So I was, I'm going to still do big miles, but then I'm going to take advantage and like, go swimming at every single pond I see. And like, I'm going to, whenever there's trail magic, I'm going to stop for like two hours. And so I was like trying to like live it up as much as possible. And like had so much extra energy. So like the last stretch of Maine was super fun. And I have no idea how I didn't crash. So then once I like got to Katahdin, it was a great day, but also just very sad walking away from that sign. And like, now going south on the Appalachian Trail to hike down, it just felt really unnatural. So it went mm-hmm. from being like a really great day to also like just very abruptly, like a very sad day. Yeah. It it ended. It ended. Yes. It still feels weird, really weird to say. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sure like, I mean, like everything, when you're in the middle of it, it feels like it's going on forever mm-hmm. and it will never end. And you know, you'll get up and do the same thing tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. And, but at some point it comes to a close. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really hard to accept that. I got back to the hotel and I was hanging out with my friends the next day because we were then taking the bus to Bangor, Maine, which is where all the flights go out of. And we were just Mm -hmm. sitting there and being like, whoa, like it's over. And people who ended up finishing right around the same time as me, I had actually met them before I even had left. So one of the guys worked at the REI in DC and I got connected with him and I was like, Oh, maybe I'll see you on trail. And so I met him and his friend like the first week I was out there. And then I finished the day after them. So it's really cool. Like getting to connect with them again. Cause we had kind of like seen each other from the start and then now seeing each other at the end and kind of seeing how we had changed in that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever like taken a moment and really one of the, one of the phrases I, I saw in some of your blogs was talking about being a badass and, <laughs> and all of that. And like, have you actually like had a moment where you could s- step back almost outside of yourself and say, I not only finished the AT, I broke my elbow, got back on the AT, finished it, you know, finished it solo my shoes froze. I finished that. Like, like really take in what you've accomplished. Yeah. So honestly, it's been like super hard for me to like say that about myself. So like, um, since I finished, I met with a ton of my friends who just think this experience is insane and so inspiring and so cool. <laughs> and so even like inspiring friends through work who just followed along through my experience. So just having other people like explain to me like the effect that I've had on their lives has been really, really grateful. But it's, it's honestly kind of hard because you, I met so many amazing people while I was on trail who were just like so cool and so inspiring and like amazing people. So you're constantly like comparing them to 
comparing what you did to them. And I'm like, Oh, like, it's not that big of a deal. Like everyone through hikes, because <laughs> now I have this huge group of friends who also through hikes. So right. whenever I'm like meeting with someone who wants to talk about my experience or like, tell me about something that they're passionate about and want to go do now. And now they're taking that leap. Those are the moments when mm-hmm. I like realize, Whoa, this is crazy that what I did has had an impact on someone. And now they're going after something like, even if it's not the AP, they now like have the courage to like go quit their job and like teach English in like a foreign country. Like that's an example of something that a friend reached out to me saying that now they felt they could do it and that they could take that leap. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for me to like just step back and look at it. But whenever other people approach me about my accomplishment and start talking to me about it, I'm like, whoa, like what I did has had an impact on other people. And it's so yeah. great because other people on the trail had such an impact on me. So it's nice to pay it forward. We do hard things. Yes. <laughs> are you are you comfortable with calling yourself a badass? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely will call myself a badass. And um, my, You'll embrace it. My mom even calls me that now, too, um, which is really cute. And, like, all of her, like, neighborhood friends were following along on my journey. So when I got mm-hmm. back home, they had a party for me. And one of her friends bought me the shirt that says, American badass woman. And my one of my friends was like, oh, like, you're only going to wear that to bed, right? And I was like, no, like, I'm going to wear this around. So I've worn it a few times in public. So mm-hmm. really appreciated that gift. <laughs> awesome. What were you using for navigation? Like, were, is the trail well enough set up that you didn't need like a gut hooks app or something like that? Or did you also have a gut hooks app for the um, times when you had snow and that kind of thing? Whoa, I wish I had a gut hooks app. Gut hooks app. Okay. I was like way too stubborn once I decided that I didn't want it. So I had like the AWOLS guide, but it's not very good with real time updates or like, are you off trail? So I got lost right. once. Um, I, I got lost a couple of times, but I would always find my way back. But there was one time when I got lost in the white and was off trail for like seven miles, which was miserable. Um, and oh, wow, seven miles. In that time, I really wish I had gut hooks. So I will definitely mm-hmm. be using gut hooks in the future. And like anyone who's planning on doing the AT, like highly recommend getting gut hooks. It was yeah. just kind of one of those things where I was like, oh, like I didn't start with it. I don't need it. Like I'm almost done. But you can right. even buy it in like small packages. So like if I had, if I wanted to, I could have bought like the Vermont main section, which would have been smart. Right. Just the pieces that you still needed. Mm-hmm. I know. And I'm hearing a lot of people on this CDT and, and PCT and essentially the, like the Western trails, you know, are talking about getting the Garmin. I think it's the Garmin inspire, but basically it's an, it's almost like an emergency beacon, but it allows you to check in each night and, and do that kind of thing. And also kind of tells you is that that on the red line. Is that kind of like, like a spot or is it like a little bit more intense? Uh, It's probably like a spot. It's, it's, essentially a, a device that you're you've got with you okay yeah that's good to know i might have to look into that for my next trail then yeah i mean because it uh, any number of people both men and women i'm i'm hearing from are are carrying it but particularly the 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 one woman that i've spoken to so far she you know every night she would essentially send a text to her parents or whatever and basically say you know this is where i am longitude latitude and just a quick you know text or or something about like the day or everything's fine that kind of thing oh cool yeah i will definitely look into that sounds like something smart to have especially when they have like a, <laughs> a worried mother back home 
Yeah. And the, and the PCT is a little bit more remote than, mm-hmm. than the AT. Yes, definitely. How was your experience with like trail magic and trail angels and that kind of thing? Oh, yeah. Um, so tra- uh, you like get told about trail magic beforehand, but like just the first time you get it, it's just like butterflies in your stomach. You're like, this is for me. Like, what do you mean? So I had been on trail for four days and I hadn't had trail magic, but everyone around me had had it every single day. The Georgia area is where it's what in the March and April months is where trail magic is so common since everyone's so centralized. Mm -hmm. And so I would hear from someone trail magic ahead because you speed up. And so I would always try to sprint and get it. And I missed it every time. And so like in those four days, I was (laughs) Oh no, like four days in, this means I'm never going to get trail magic. My whole entire Appalachian trail through hike, which obviously wasn't the case. Right. But on day four was when I got my first trail magic. um, And it was, Three cars set up. There was just hot chocolate and all these snacks, and you were just walking up to like a timid animal, just being like, "Can I approach? Like, is this okay? <laughs> is this for me? Is this for me?" But then, as you go farther north, there were times when I approached people like, "Hey, like trail magic," and they're like, "No, like this isn't for you," because I had just like gotten so used to it. So there was uh-huh. this one time in Pennsylvania where there was like family parks and it was summertime and there was like cookout and I like saw like this one person like filling up burgers and I was like oh hey like trail magic and they're like no like this is our family barbecue like what are you doing and why do you smell bad <laughs> so it was always like very funny when you got more into like those park areas especially in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. like there was this one time too like sorry to take this off topic but um There was this mother and her son, and I had, like, gone into this public restroom, used the little, like, soap dispenser to wash my hair in the sink, Um, and I, like, came out, and I was like, ah, like, I'm a freshman, basically showered, and I'm, like, one foot away from these people, and this mom talks to her son, he's like, that's one of those Appalachian Trail through hikers, honey, like, that's one of them, and I'm like, you can talk to me, and she's talking about me, like, right in front of me. So it's, like, very funny because you start to feel like a zoo animal in some yeah. spots. And, and to some extent, you were a zoo animal. Yeah, I definitely was a, basically a zoo animal at times. I smelled like one. And definitely oh, I felt God. more natural and definitely called on my animal instincts a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So how did you deal with the hygiene of the trail? So I... I feel like I was fine. I, so I feel like everyone is like, I don't smell that bad because you don't smell yourself. And so mm-hmm. when I got back on trail and was mainly hiking by myself, um, I didn't have friends who were close enough to be like, Meredith, like you smell so bad. <laughs> so I would shower like once a week, maybe twice a mm-hmm. week. A lot of times in the second half, I like to like go into town for the day and then hike out at night just to save money. So it would be like okay. I took like a Nero, like would get there early morning, would charge all my stuff, would relax, would eat town food, would resupply. And then like a couple hours before dark would hike back out, um, which is a really great okay. thing if you're trying to save money. But yeah, it honestly like wasn't that bad. I did laundry like probably once a week too. And you just turn your clothes inside out as you need to like flipping underwear inside out, honestly, like looks great. Mm-hmm. Um, but it honestly wasn't like that gross. Weirdly enough, I was just, yeah, you just get used to it. 
Yeah. And you, you're not ashamed anymore once you're out there. All shame kind of just disappears. You're, you're there with a higher purpose. Yes, exactly. Exactly. There's so many other things to worry about besides how you smell or that you're dirty or that your hair mm-hmm. is just this grease mob. <laughs> did you ever contemplate just wanting to shave your head? So I did cut off like eight inches of hair before I started the trail. But honestly, just keeping it in a hat or in braids, it was really low maintenance. I never touched my hair. Like I I had okay. a comb with me at first and I sent that home because I was like, I don't need to brush my hair. I have fingers. So it ended up being fine. I know some other friends who like had like dreads up here. Um, they, mm-hmm. they did comp- contemplate just like cutting it out. But I feel like just like tying it back or keeping it in braids kept it fine. Just don't touch it. If you touch it, then it gets gross. Right. As long as you don't see it, so to speak, it's, it's yeah, out of sight, out of mind. Like you're never checking your reflection. Exactly. You're good. Oh, perfect. I do really, really appreciate you getting on this call with me yeah, and so uh, talking great. about your adventure. Yeah, this has been so awesome. And it was a nice time to get to reflect on it all again and bring up some of the stories that I kind of put pushed to the back of my head. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Where can people find you or where would you like for people to find you? I'd say Instagram is probably the best place. I don't really use anything else. So my, okay. my Instagram is at um, J 7 Okay, perfect. And I know that there is, you do have the blog on the trek, yes, correct? Yes, I do. Um, I don't remember what my author thing is, but I can definitely share the link with you all um, after this. Okay. Perfect. That would be fantastic. So thank you again. And congratulations on your through hike. Thank you so much. It was great getting to chat with you. Show notes and links for Meredith's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Meredith for sharing her stories from the trail and Maya Wynn for the use of the song, Try Again. I would love to hear about your trail stories as well. So please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com or you can also DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. We would also love it if you would find us on your favorite podcast provider and leave a review. I'll see you on the trail.